Hello, and welcome to the reading of The Courier. And I am your narrator, Peter Welch. And this is IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind and the Disabled. And we are reading The Courier here today. And this is Thursday, and it's the 26th of January. And folks, it's going to get really cold in the next several days, so bundle up. Anyway, let's take a look at the headlines here. GOP questions Iowa universities. State House panel wants explanation on course descriptions. In Des Moines, a group of 26 Republican lawmakers wants Iowa public universities to explain themselves and their teacher training curriculum by defining a long list of terms plucked from course descriptions like compulsory heterosexuality, critical media literacy, and equitable science teaching. The House Education Subcommittee Wednesday passed House File 7, introduced by Representative I should say, excuse me, Republican rather, uh, Skyler Wheeler, uh, representative of Orange City, and 25 other Republican representatives like House Speaker Pat Grassley, House Majority Leader Matt Windschittel, Wind, uh, uh, Steve Holt of Denison, and Thomas Gerhold of Atkins. It requires each of Iowa's public universities in consultation with the Board of Regents to submit a report to the General Assembly by February 27th, defining with uh, specificity a list individualized concepts and terms pulled from course summaries in each of their colleges of education. These were pulled from class titles or descriptions of the class's subcommittee chair, Wheeler said, highlighting a few from the University of Iowa College of Education, including diversity and identity in kindergarten, grades through 12, education, culturally responsive classroom, anti-racist and anti-oppressive teaching, and learning, and queer identities at all levels of kindergarten through grade 12 education. These are taxpayer dollars. Going to some of these different things, Wheeler says, when you look at these, you, you start to just honestly try and figure out what in the world do these even mean. So the purpose of this bill, it's not a witch hunt. It's just simply we want some answers on how our taxpayer dollars are being used and what is going on in our teacher prep programs. The bill also would create an interim study committee to assess program planning for degrees in the colleges of education of the institutions of higher education governed by the State Board of Regents and the curriculum necessary for completing a degree. The committee would include representatives and senators chosen by Republican leadership, and it would be charged with submitting a final report with findings and policy change recommendations. All right, what else is going on here on the front page? Award cap considered for medical malpractice. Legislation would stop lawsuits at $1 million. Cash awards for pain, suffering, and other non-economic complications from medical malpractice lawsuits would be capped at $1 million under legislation being considered by state lawmakers. The proposal has been floating around the Iowa Capitol for multiple years, but this year, Governor Kim Reynolds highlighted the proposal in her annual condition of the state address earlier this month. 
This is the year that we must enact common sense tort reform to stop the out-of-control verdicts that are driving our OBGYN clinics out of business and medical school graduates out of state, Reynolds said during that address. One hospital administrator said that it's gotten so bad that he's often asked about Iowa's large jury verdict during recruiting trips two years ago. That had never happened. The legal environment is changing, and our laws need to keep up. I was one of 11 states that does not have a cap on non-economic damages in medical malpractice states. According to a 2020 report from New York Law School Center for Justice and Democracy, other states' caps, non-economic damage ranges between $250,000 and roughly $800,000. Of the states that share a border with Iowa, Wisconsin, South Dakota, Nebraska, Missouri, have caps on non-economic damages and medical malpractice cases with Minnesota and Illinois do not. The proposal legislation in Iowa would cap non-economic damages at $1 million, but would not cap economic damages. A legislative hearing on the proposed, or I should say the proposal Wednesday at the Iowa Capitol drew much attention from statehouse lobbyists and advocacy groups. Speakers representing the medical community said that the legislation is needed because without the cap, Physicians are hesitant to work in Iowa, and it becomes difficult for hospitals and clinics to recruit and retain doctors. And they said without a cap, the cost of insurance can rise high enough to drive hospitals or clinics to close, especially smaller ones in rural areas. Representatives of the medical community pointed in particular to two judgments from 2022, a $97.4 million award to a family whose newborn suffered permanent brain damage when its head was crushed due to health care providers using improper procedures during delivery, and a $27 million award to a man whose case of bacterial meningitis was, was misdiagnosed as the flu. Physicians don't want to come into a state where liability is so volatile, said Sandra Collin a lobbyist for the Iowa Hospital Association. Just 22% of undergraduate-level medical school graduates remained in Iowa in 2020, which was the seventh-worst rate in the country, according to the most recent annual report from the Association of American Medical Colleges. This is something to, re to retain the physicians of Iowa for years and years to come, Brock Meyer said during the legislative hearing. Those opposed to the legislation largely represented lawyers and advocacy groups. They argued that the state should not put an arbitrary limit on financial rewards to Iowans who are severely injured during medical procedures. The speakers who opposed the bill included Sam Clovis, a former Republican candidate for the U.S. Senate who has filed a lawsuit that claims medical negligence resulted in his becoming paralyzed from the chest down and confined to a wheelchair, and Chip Baltimore, a lawyer, lobbyist, and former Republican state lawmaker who carried the House's Judiciary Committee. Tom Slater, a lawyer from West Des Moines who specializes in medical malpractice and personal interest that he views the proposal as further wilting, whittling away patients' rights. I've heard a lot of talk in here 
on the other side about doctors and hospitals and costs of insurance, system costs. Where's the talk in favor of the patient, Slater said. The bill puts in the finishing touches on not just curtailing patients' rights, but eliminating them. 1619 Project debuts on Hulu. Waterloo Focal Point in Hannah Jones series that starts on Thursday in Waterloo. From the opening shot of a new docu-series, Waterloo is a point of focus in the New York Times journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones' newest project. The 1619 Project is a six-episode docu-series premiering Thursday on Hulu. Each episode is based on a chapter from the book of the same name. Hannah-Jones, a Waterloo native, won a Pulitzer Prize in commentary for a personal essay that opened the 1619 Project a deep dive into the implications of the history of slavery. The New York Times Magazine project marked the 400th anniversary of the 1619 arrival of a ship, which for the first time on the continent brought 20 enslaved Africans to Virginia. The book was published later based on the magazine's work. The project posits uh, that 1619 is America's true original origin date, rather than the signing of the Declaration of Independence in 1776. The series seeks to reframe the country's history by placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the center of the narrative, according to information from Hulu. Hannah Jones said that after the project's publication in 2019, she was contacted by several studios interested in putting the story on TV or film. The series is a Lionsgate production in association with One Story Up Productions, Harpo Films, and the New York Times. She's one of the executive producers and serves as a guide throughout each episode. Hannah Jones has worked on the series while remaining a New York Times correspondent. Since 2021, she has also been the night chair in race and journalism at Washington. Iowa University's Good Value, UNI, plays role in state's third highest ROI rank in Cedar Falls. A recent report of the Foundation of Research on Equal Opportunity finds Iowa to have the third highest median return on investment. When it comes to public systems of universities, regional college communities, colleges, and technical schools, the nonpartisan think tank indicates that the Iowa State University is far and away the most valuable player in the Hawkeye State. However, report author Preston Cooper said it's more of a group effort when it comes to those states that perform well, not just one institution. He noted that the University of Northern Iowa has a number of strong programs contributing to the state's high standing. Return on investment, also known as ROI, compares the main financial benefit of college, the increase in lifetime incomes attributable to the degree, to the costs, including tuition and foregone, er foregone earnings, and comes up with the amount of a student can expect to gain financially from each individual degree. I think that the value of our study is that we can really drill down into the institution and program level and tell you what this particular degree is going to earn you at a college student, not just what college is going to return you on average, said Cooper.
Data provided by Cooper has UNI's highest lifetime earnings. Earners graduating with bachelor degrees related to construction management, industrial products, production technologies, electromechanical instrumentation, computer science, statistics, accounting, management, information services, and economics. The university also is embarking on adding one of the most valuable programs in over half of state public university systems, according to the report, and that's a Bachelor of Science in Nursing. I hope that you know students can use this data to make better choices regarding their own education and to help them figure out if this school that they're applying to, attending, and potentially paying tens of thousands of dollars of tuition for is really going to get me a good financial return, says Cooper. UNI officials aren't surprised that Iowa ranks highly as ROI is always top of mind for them. Kristen Woods, UNI Senior Associate VP for Enrollment Management and Student Access, said that the university places a focus on student success in terms of degree completion and success after graduation, all while making sure it comes at an affordable cost. UNI has the lowest net cost of all public universities in Iowa right now, and that's something we work really hard to maintain, she says. Woods also points out that UNI's graduation rates have been increasing every year, and it recently completed an update of the general education program that's shorter in length with some exceptional outcomes, so students are able to progress toward the degree and the timeline that they want. A lot of their work has to do with narrowing in on the value of degrees, but the leading charge is linking it to the in-demand occupations and needs of the state, said Kristen Moser, UNI assistant to the president, and Director of Institutional Effectiveness and Planning. Her office is working to better market the high value attributed partially to the fact that UNI does a great job at making sure its graduates are employable after graduating. Well, here we are going into the middle of winter, and of course that means lots of cold and lots of snow in South Dakota. There's an article here. It's called South Dakota Tribe. Storm deaths could have been prevented. Honor Bove's every breath was a battle as a snowstorm battered the Rosebud Sioux Reservation in South Dakota. The asthmatic 12-year-old worried aunt and uncle begged for help, clearing a path for their cattle ranch near the community of Two Strike as his condition worsened, his fragile lungs fighting a massive infection, but when an ambulance finally did manage to get through, Honor's uncle already was performing CPR, and his grandmother Rose Cordillard Boves. Honor was pronounced dead last month at the Indian Health Service Hospital on the reservation, one of six deaths that the tribal leaders said could have been prevented if not for a series of systematic failures Targets of the frustration include Republican Governor Christy Noem, the U.S. Congress, the Indian Health Service, and even for some, the tribe itself. We were all just in shock, said Cordier Boves. Recall that when the snow finally cleared enough to hold the funeral, the family gave out toys to other children as a symbol of how he played with his siblings. He loved giving them toys. As the storm raged, Families ran out of fuel and two people froze to death, including one in their home. 
the Rosebud Sioux Tribe said in a letter this month seeking a presidential disaster declaration. The letter described the situation on the reservation in a remote area on the state's far southern border with Nebraska, 130 miles southeast of Rapid City, as a catastrophe. And in a scathing state of the tribe's address delivered January 12th in the state of legislature, Peter Lengchik, chairman of the Crow Creek Sioux Tribe, accused emergency services of being slow to react as tribes struggled to clear the snow with many using what he described as outdated equipment and dilapidated resources. Gnome's spokesman, Ian Furry, said that the claims are part of a false narrative and couldn't be further from the truth. The Indian Health Services didn't immediately return email messages from the Associated Press seeking comment. Okay, let's see what else is going on here in Waterloo. Filing deadline February 10th for Ward 4 vacancy. So far, council seat has attracted just one candidate. In Waterloo, the process for filing a vacant city council seat is underway. And the deadline for candidates to file nominating pre, uh, petitions is closing in. Earlier this month, councillors voted 6-0 to zero to hold a special election for the Ward 4 seats after a petition was sent to the mayor's office asking for just that. In November, Jerome Amos Jr. was elected to the Iowa legislature representing House District 62. His seat has been empty since the beginning of January. The election will be held on the 7th of March alongside a Hawkeye Community College referendum, which will be a cost savings for the city. The college is asking for voter approval of a $35 million bond issue in its 10-county service area. The filing deadline is the 10th of February for candidates interested in representing Ward 4, which largely encompasses a northeastern portion of Waterloo. It includes the area east of U.S. Highway 63, Logan Avenue, varying several blocks to the west at Newell Street. The boundary continues south to follow the Cedar River and then 18th Street West until just a few blocks west of U.S. Highway 218. It continues following Highway 218 and the interchange with U.S. Highway 20 and Interstate Highway 380 to the edge of the city. According to the Black Hawk County Elections Office, Lawrence Marshall is the only person running so far. Marshall, age 41, is the pastor at Payne Memorial African Methodist Episcopal, Episcopal Church and has lived in Waterloo for 16 months. Since arriving in Waterloo, Marshall said that he's seen good being done, but believes there should be more. In addition to the great stuff that is taking place, I feel that my skills can add more to the great work that has already started, he says. That's why I said this is a great opportunity and this seat is now vacant. Let me throw my name into the bag. Before he was a pastor, he taught in Chicago for 14 years and was also in politics. Although he has experience in politics, the community doesn't always know what is available to them. If I win or lose, I'm still going to help whoever wins, he says. It's about making sure our community and people in this community receive all the benefits and the help and the resources that are out there that will make a better award or a better ward. The objection and withdrawal at deadline for the Ward 4 vacancy is the 13th of February. If any objections are made, they have to be from a resident of Ward 4. Ward 4 residents also have the ch uh, chance to vote again 
in the November election. The position's term ends on the 31st of December. Cedar Falls man sentenced to jail in bank fraud, also awaiting trial in livestock neglect case. A Cedar Falls man is awaiting a trial after 800 pigs died of dehydration and malnutrition at his feeding facility and has been sentenced to jail in an unrelated check hitting scheme at a business he managed. Judge C.J. Williams sentenced Nolan Otto DeWall, age 39, to a year and a day in jail on a charge of bank fraud during a hearing in U.S. District Court in Cedar Rapids on Tuesday. He was ordered to pay $217,441 in restitution to his business partners and will be on supervised release for two years following jail. The court also imposed special conditions regarding employment that involves working with money. The judge also ordered the bank fraud jail time run consecutive to any sentence handed down in his pending misdemeanor livestock neglect case in state court. Authorities allege that DeWall moved money between bank accounts to falsify inflate accounts to cover checks for Voorhees Grain Incorporated, an agricultural cooperative he managed and owned part of four years ago. Defense attorney Melanie Keeper argued for leniency for DeWall, noting that he had admitted to the wrongdoing years ago and was remorseful and had already begun paying back the money. Keeper also noted that DeWall wasn't seeking a lavish lifestyle or to hurt anyone. Instead, he was trying to keep a business afloat. Voorhees Grain was having financial difficulties and DeWall allegedly shuffled money from a trucking company he partially owned to cover checks written to Voorhees customers, the defense said. Mr. DeWall was in over his head at Voorhees and was not able to dig the company out, causing him to use poor judgment, Keeper wrote in a sentencing memo. DeWall did not benefit from this crime and has only suffered from it, his brother wrote in a letter to the court. Both companies also suffered and the Trump and company Triple D Enterprises collapsed, leaving a negative $247,000 balance. According to authorities, one of DeWall's partners in the truck business had to file for personal bankruptcy, and another partner was forced to repay the trucking company's negative bank balance at its bank with personal funds and a loan, according to prosecutors. February court date has been sent has been sent rather for his livestock neglect case. DeWall was hired to raise baby pigs at his farm in rural Cedar Falls in December of 2021. Some 800 pigs died at the facility in less than two weeks. Authorities found that the feeders were empty and water bowls weren't hooked up, according to court records. Hawkeye budget would hold line on tax rate. Potential rollback error could limit tax revenue. In Waterloo, the Hawkeye Community College Board of Trustees will consider approving a 2023-24 budget next month with no hike to the property tax rate. The board on Tuesday set February 28th at 6 p.m. as the date and time for its public hearing and approved a notice for the proposed $71.27 million budget with a rate at $1.19 per $1,000 of taxable property valuation, the same as the current year. 
the levy would bring in $13.3 million in property and utility replacement collections for the college's 10 college service area encompassing Benton, Black, uh, Blackhawk, Bremer, Buchanan, Butler, Chicksaw, Fayette, Floyd, Grundy, and Tama. The community college is slated to bring in nearly $300,000 more in future tax revenue. But Dan Gillen, Hawkeye's VP of Administration and Finance, cautioned that it could lose a little more than $200,000 in taxes because of a possible change in the state's residential rollback rate, the percentage of a property's value that cannot be taxed. The proposed $71.27 million budget is $281,407 more than the re-estimated budget for the current year. Board President Jay Nardini also reminded his colleagues that every year his office is without final figures for things like state aid and enrollment. For now, tuition and state aid revenue are estimated at $19 million. $859,166 and $15,498,768 respectively. Waterloo woman wins 30K Iowa lottery prize. A Waterloo woman who thought she'd won a $3 from a scratch-off was surprised to find out Monday that she had instead won $30,000. Jamie Tobar, age 39, won the 143rd top prize in the Iowa Lottery's bonus crossword game and plans to share the winnings with her three children and use the funds to pay bills. She and her husband, Chris, purchased the ticket from the self-service kiosk at the Waterloo Hy-Vee, which is located at 2834 Ansboro Avenue. I thought it was a $3 winner because I forgot to do the bonus letters. Tubar said as she claimed the prize at the lottery's Cedar Rapids office, I scanned it and didn't believe it, so I just kept scanning it. My husband was looking at me like, what is wrong with you? Then he thought I was pulling a prank on him. Bonus crossword is a $3 scratch game that features overall odds of 1 in 3.52 and 144 Top prizes of $30,000. For more information about this game and the number of prizes still available, visit iowalottery.com. Also in Waterloo, man arrested on bullet charge following chase. In Waterloo, Waterloo police arrested a driver after they found a single unfired bullet in his vehicle following a traffic stop. According to court records, Malik Deshaun Richard age 30, had crashed into a snowbank during a January 19th traffic stop for a broken taillight in the area of East 4th and Newell Streets. Officers found a live 40 caliber round in a box in his trunk along with marijuana pipes, court records state. Authorities allege that Richard is prohibited from possessing ammunition because of a 2016 domestic assault conviction. Richard wasn't detained at the time, and police later obtained an arrest warrant. On Tuesday night, a patrol officer noticed Richard's Audi on Independence Avenue and attempted to pull him over for the warrant. The Audi sped off, reaching speeds of 90 miles per hour, and passed another vehicle before stopping at a relative's home on Colfax Drive, according to court records. Police arrested Richard for domestic abuse in possession of 
uh, ammunition and looting. Bond was set at $12,500. Radon levels normal at Dyke, New Hartford. The Dyke New Hartford Community School District recently completed testing its two campuses for radon required at least once every five years for all Iowa public school attendees uh, centers, licensed preschools and licensed child care centers. The test results indicated that radon levels well below the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's advised radon action level of 4.0 PCIL. We are grateful to receive this news and for the Energy Association of Iowa Schools' assistance in facilitating this radon testing. So Justin Stockdale, uh, Dyke New Hartford Superintendent. We now have peace of mind that our students and staff and community are learning in spaces that are safe as possible from radon. Radon gas cannot be seen, smelled, or tasted and moves towards through cracks and other openings in the foundations of buildings from the soil under a building. In the U.S., radon is the leading cause of lung cancer deaths among non-smokers. To learn how to accurately complete radon testing independently, the district received training from the School Radon Training and Support System facilitated by the Energy Association of Iowa Schools. If elevated radon levels are found, EAIS coaches schools through process of eliminating it. EAIS has placed the district on a multi-year rotating radon test schedule to continue to ensure that radon safety in the future. Although schools and workplaces are usually the second largest contributors to radon exposure, the home is likely to be the most significant source. Therefore, families are encouraged to regularly test their homes for radon and take action to reduce elevated con concentrations. More information regarding residential radon testing can be found online at www.epa.gov forward slash radon. And I would like to remind you that you are listening to the reading of The Courier for Thursday, the 26th of January. And I am your narrator, Peter Welch, and this is IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind and the Disabled. We have just a few obituary um, news items here today. The first one is Norman Fischels, and he has passed at the age of 72 on, on the 23rd of, uh, of January. There's no more inf information regarding uh, any um, funeral arrangements or, or who would be handling that. Curtis Bate of Jessup. Curtis Eugene Bate, age 35, of rural Jessup, passed away unexpectedly on the 22nd of January. Visitation will be Saturday, the 28th of January, from 10 a.m. until services at 1 p.m., Funeral services will be 1 p.m. Saturday, January 28th at the White Funeral Home in Jessup, Iowa, with burial at the Immaculate Conception Catholic Cemetery in Fairbank, which is in Iowa. In remembrance of Curtis, please, everyone wear your favorite hoodie for that day, as he would have wanted to have you do that. Memorials may be directed to the family. Online condolences. And then finally, there's Charles Aldridge Sr., 
who passed away uh, on the 15th of January. Celebration of Life service will be held at, at Waterloo Worship Center at 1728 Jefferson Avenue in Waterloo. Sanders Funeral uh, Service is assisting the family. And then finally, Craig Petit of Waterloo uh, passed at the age of 59. A Craig Petit CU on the Other Side celebration will be on Friday, the 27th of January at 4 p.m. at Lock at Tower Park, 4140 Kimball Avenue in Waterloo. The family will receive friends on Thursday, 26th of January from 5 to 7 p.m. at the funeral home. As a show of sympathy, the family suggests that the memorial contributions be directed to Lori's Dream Team, and they are at www. Lori'sDreamTeam.com or the Cedar Bend Humane Society. Online condolences, of course, can also be expressed at www.LockFuneralServices.com. Okay, let's go to uh, the nation and world news now. The U.S. and Germany agreed to send battle tanks to the Ukraine. A French Leclerc main battle tank is pictured here in the paper firing during a Wednesday exercise at a training range in Smarden, eastern Romania. About 600 French soldiers are deployed to Romania as part of a NATO battle group, carries out exercises to test their preparedness amid Russia's ongoing war in neighboring Ukraine. Germany and the United States announced Wednesday that they'll also send battle tanks to Ukraine as Russia's invasion enters its 12th month. President Joe Biden said that the U.S. will send 31 M1 Abram tanks, reversing months of persistent arguments by Washington that they're too difficult for Ukrainian soldiers to operate and maintain. The U.S. decision follows Germany's agreeing to send 14 Leopard 2 A6 tanks from its own stocks. Lawyer school warned of gun in Newport News, Virginia. Superintendent will be relieved of his duties in wake of criticism. Concerned staff warned administrators at a Virginia elementary school three times that a six-year-old boy had a gun and was threatening other students in the hours before he shot and wounded a teacher. But the administration was paralyzed by apathy and didn't call police, remove the boy from class, or lock down the school. The wounded teacher's lawyer said on Wednesday, Diane Toscano, an attorney for Abigail uh, Warner said during a news conference that she notified the school board in Newport News that the 25-year-old teacher at Rich Neck Elementary School plans to sue the school district over the January 6th shooting, which left Zawerner with serious injuries. The school superintendent, George Parker III, will leave his role after reaching an agreement with the district to leave the job. School officials announced on Wednesday. The school board announced his departure following a closed-door special meeting on Wednesday evening. The board voted 5-1 to one in favor of the separation agreement and severance package. Effective the 1st of February, Parker will be relieved of his duties as superintendent. Toscano and Zawerner first went to administrator about 11.15 a.m. on the day of the shooting and said that the boy had threatened to beat up another child, but no action was taken. About an hour later, 
Another teacher went to an administrator and said she searched the boy's book bag, but warned that she thought the boy put the gun in his pocket before going outside for recess, Toscano says. Shortly after 1 p.m., another teacher told an administrator that a different student who was crying and fearful said that the boy showed him the gun during recess and threatened to shoot him if he told anyone. Again, no action was taken, she said. When another employee who heard the boy might have a gun asked an administrator to search the boy, he was turned down, Toscano says. Okay, let's go to news briefs now. Abortion pill rules prompt lawsuits. Supporters of abortion rights filed lawsuits Wednesday challenging two states' abortion pill restrictions, the opening salvo, and what's expected to be a protracted legal battle over access to the pills. The lawsuits argue that the limits on the drugs in North Carolina and West Virginia run afoul of the federal authority of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, which approved the abortion pill as a safe and effective method for ending pregnancy. The cases were filed in North Carolina by a physician who prescribed the pill and in West Virginia by General BioPro, which makes a generic version. The pill is called Mifepristone. The lawsuit, which focused on a longstanding legal principle that federal laws preempt state laws, could determine access to abortion for millions of women. California suspects faces seven murder counts in Half Moon Bay, California. Chun-Li Zhao, age 66, a farm worker accused of killing seven people in back-to-back shootings at two Northern California mushroom farms, was charged Wednesday with seven counts of murder and one of attempted murder. He was set to make his first court appearance on Wednesday, but it was postponed until February 16th at San Matau County District. Attorney Steve Wagstaff said the authorities believe that Zhao acted alone on Monday when he entered a mushroom farm where he worked in Half Moon Bay, shot and killed four people, and seriously wounded a fifth. He then drove to a nearby farm where he worked previously and killed three more people, said Iman Allen, a sheriff's spokesperson. The charges include additional allegations that could result in the death penalty or life in prison without parole, though Governor Gavin Newsom issued a moratorium on executions. Recon case. Pascal Ferrer, age 55, a Canadian woman, pleaded guilty Wednesday to mailing a threatening letter containing the poison Recon to then-President Donald Trump at the White House and similar threatening letters to Texas law enforcement officials. She's expected to be sentenced in April to just short of 22 years in prison under the terms of a plea deal. Electric vehicles. Ratcheting up his criticisms of the Biden administration's U.S. Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat of West Virginia, on Wednesday acted to delay new tax credits for electric vehicles, a key feature of President Joe Biden's landmark climate law. Health insurance. A record 16.3 million people sought health insurance through the Affordable Care Act this year, double the numbers covered when the marketplace first launched nearly a decade ago, the Biden administration announced on Wednesday. 
severe weather. Snow fell Wednesday from Indiana into much of southeastern Michigan. The storm system was expected to bring damaging winds to parts of Florida, Georgia, and the Carolinas. Forecasters said weather weather advisories stretched from southern Missouri to Maine. Food safety. The Federal Food and Drug Administration's top food safety official resigned on Wednesday, citing concerns about the agency's oversight structure and the infant formula shortage that led to a nationwide crisis. Frank Giannis, Deputy Commissioner for Food Policy and Response since 2018, said he would leave February 24th. And finally, in news briefs, Beirut Blast, Lebanon's top prosecutor on Wednesday, ordered the release of all suspects detained in the investigation into the deadly 2020 port blast in Beirut and filed charges against the judge leading the probe. Bill increases penalties in drug-related deaths. In Des Moines, delivery of a drug resulting in a death would carry up to a 25-year sentence under a bill proposed by Iowa Attorney General Brina Byrd. The bill passed subcommittees in both the Iowa House Senate on Wednesday. Currently, the maximum charge that can be pursued against a person who sells drugs resulting in death is for the delivery itself, a Class C felony. Prosecutors can pursue an involuntary manslaughter charge, but that penalty is a lesser Class D felony. The bill would make the sale of a drug resulting in the death of a Class B felony, putting it on the same level as attempted murder and killing a person while driving intoxicated. Marijuana is exempt from the bill. A Class B felony is punishable by up to 25 years in prison. Byrd, a Republican, said that during a Senate subcommittee on the bill that the proposal aims to address a rising rate of overdoses in Iowa. It's so important that we can seek justice for those victims and their families. So I'm very encouraged and looking forward to working with the governor and the legislature as we move forward, she said in an interview. Iowa has one of the lowest overdose dose rates in the United States. Iowa ranked fifth lowest of the 50 states in 2021. But the number of deaths has been increasing following national trends over the past several years. In 2021, 470 Iowans died of drug overdoses, according to Governor Kim Reynolds' office. Iowa elected officials have been sounding alarms about an increase in uh, in overdose deaths in the state in recent years, driven in part by an increased presence of fentanyl, a potent opioid. Bird said raising the penalties would bring the law into line with the severity of the crime. It's not dealt with the way it should be and the way that some other states and even federal law would deal with it, she says. But some lobbyists and advocates were concerned that the bill would be counterproductive, bringing harsh charges for situations that may not warrant it. Lisa Davis-Cook, a lobbyist for the Iowa Association for Justice, said that the organization which is registered against the bill has concerns about whether the bill would act as a deterrent. What about that college kid who shares drugs with a friend and then leaves and that friend dies? So they can't report the overdose. All, or rather I should say, are all these really the people that we want to be charging with a Class B felony, Davis Cook says. Democratic Republican Ross Wilburn of Ames was the sole lawmaker to not sign onto the passing of the bill out of a subcommittee. He says that he's not opposed to the bill, 
but he would like to gather information about the bill's impact on minorities and see the details of a similar bill expected to come out of Governor Kim Reynolds' office. Let's look at another bill. This is the domestic abuse bill advances the House Judiciary Committee. On Tuesday, advanced a bill, supporters say, adds new protections for domestic abuse victims. House study bill number seven eliminates a section of code that said if a previous conviction or deferred judgment for domestic abuse occurred more than 12 years before the date of a second violation, it shall not be considered a second offense. Tom Ferguson, a lobbyist from the Iowa County Attorneys Association, which is registered in support of the bill, noted Iowa Code does contain the same arbitrary look-back provision for drug offenses. Providing for a higher-level offense will hold individuals accountable for continued behavior that's detrimental not only to the victims, but the children of the victims who observe the abuse, Ferguson goes on to say. The higher level of offense means we can supervise those individuals longer and put them in more programs. And so we can hopefully eliminate the cycle of violence, he said. The committee voted 15 to 5 to advance the bill for a vote on the House floor with Democrats opposed. Current law is not written really well. I will agree with that. I think there are better ways to go about it. But I'm concerned about completely eliminating the second chance. Representative, or I should say Republican, rather, Wessel Crochelle said she prefers the code section be rewritten rather than eliminated. Ferguson said that the prosecutors would still have discretion in deciding which and what level of charges to bring against someone accused of domestic abuse. Well, it is Thursday, and it's time to look at what is on television. Let's take a look first at Catch a Classic. Special theme, The Jewish Experience. Um, on uh, at 7 p.m. tonight uh, on TCM, there'll be the Biloxi Blues, also the Chosen, Portney's Complaint, The Last Metro, and Tevia, and these are all movies that will be on starting at 7 p.m. on Turner Classic Movies. Figure skating, U.S. Championships at the, on the USA Network from 6 to 8 p.m. and 9 to 11 p.m., which will be a live coverage. Early in the evening, USA and Peacock offer coverage of the Rhythm Dance Championship. Later in the evening will be coverage of the Women's Short Program Championship. And in other sports, NBA basketball, TNT, beginning at 6.30 p.m., and that'll be live. TNT's Thursday night NBA doubleheader has the New York Knicks at the Boston Celtics and the Dallas Mavericks at the Phoenix Suns. Walker on the CW channel at 7 p.m. In Blinded by the Light, it's tipped by the gray flag, may still have him as their prime suspect. Walker Independence on the CW at 8 p.m. In All In, as a dust storm descends upon Independence, Abby finds themselves desperate for shelter. Nikki Bella says, I do, on E! at 8 p.m., a new series. This four-part special follows WWE superstar Nikki Bella and Dancing with the Stars champion our team, Chig Ventsev, as they prepare to walk down the aisle. 
This major moment is not without challenges as the bride and groom navigate parenthood with their son. And that looks really good. And then on 8 p.m. on NBC, Law and Order Special Victims Unit. Got to tell you, this is a personal favorite of mine. In Blood Out as Benson put a vengeful crime boss on trial to help a woman who was drugged and left for dead. And Valesco takes drastic action to get information from a witness. And on the Travel Channel at 8 p.m., the season's finale, uh, you got the Haunted Museum. Season one concludes with the curse of the Dubuque box in which a skeptical college professor must re-examine his beliefs and face his greatest fears as he struggles to unravel the mystery surrounding one of the world's most dangerous paranormal artifacts. Yeah, that looks like fun to watch. All right, what else is going on here? How about today in history? Today's highlights on the 26th of January, 1998, President Bill Clinton forcefully denied having an affair with a former White House intern, telling reporters I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. On this date in 1915, President Woodrow Wilson signed the Rocky Mountain National Park Act, which created America's 10th National Park in 1962, the U.S. launched Ranger 3 to land scientific instruments on the moon. The probe ended up missing its target by more than 22,000 miles. In 1992, Democratic presidential candidate Bill Clinton, appearing with his wife Hillary on CBS 60 Minutes, acknowledged causing pain in my marriage, but said past problems were not relevant to the campaign. In 1993, Vaclav Havel was elected president of the newly formed Czech Republic. In 1994, a scare occurred during a visit to Sydney, Australia, by Britain's Prince Charles as college student David King lunged at the prince, firing two blank shots from a starter's pistol. King was later sentenced to 500 hours of community service. In 2005, a U.S. Marine helicopter crashed in western Iraq killing 30 Marines and a Navy medic, a Navy medic, I should say, aboard. A man parked his SUV on railroad tracks in Glendale, California, setting off a crash of two commuter trains that killed 11 people. The SUV's driver, Juan Alvarez, was convicted of murder and sentenced to 11 consecutive life terms. In 2009, Nadia Suman gave birth at Kaiser Permanent Bellflower Medical Center in California to six boys and two girls. Criticism came after the public learned that the unemployed single mother had gotten pregnant with the octuplets and six elder children through uh, in virtual fertilization. 2016, the FBI arrested the leaders of an armed group that was occupying a national wildlife refuge in Oregon for more than three weeks during a traffic stop that left one man dead. Character actor Abe Vagoda had died at age 94 in Woodland Park, New Jersey on this date. In 2020, NBA legend Kobe Bryant, his 13-year-old daughter, and seven others were killed when their helicopter plunged into a steep hillside in dense morning fog in Southern California. And the former Lakers star was 41. 18-year-old singer Billy Eilish made history at the Grammy Awards, becoming the youngest to win of one of uh, Grammy's top awards and the first to sweep all four in nearly 40 years. Let's take a look at the weather. Uh, today, there'll be low clouds and it will be colder, 18 degrees. Um, 
tomorrow or tonight, I should say, it will be a little snow at times, late, nine degrees. On Friday, it'll be a little bit warmer with, with some flurries, high 34 and a low of 12. But then from there on, the temperature does start to drop. On Saturday, colder with four to eight, four to eight inches of snow. And the height will be 70, 17 degrees and the low will be 4 degrees. Sunday, colder with just a little bit of snow, 9 degrees uh, for a high and 1 degrees for a low. And then on Monday, mostly cloudy and cold, and it will be a 6 degree for high and 8 below zero for a low in the evening. Okay, let's see what else is going here on the nation and the world. Here's a little bit more news about uh, a bill that was uh, aiming to delay the EV tax credits in Washington, ratcheting up his criticism at the Biden administration. U.S. Senator Joe Manchin, uh, Democrat of West Virginia, acted Wednesday to delay new tax credits for electric vehicles, a key feature of President Joe Biden's landmark climate law. Manchin and Treasury Department guidelines allow manufacturers in Europe and other countries to bypass requirements that significant portions of EV batteries be produced in North America. The climate law, officially known as the Inflation Reduction Act, is first and foremost an energy security bill, he said, adding that the EV tax credits were designed to grow domestic manufacturing and reduce our reliance on foreign supply chains for the critical minerals needed to produce EV batteries. The bill, unlikely to gain traction in the Senate, came as Energy Secretary Jennifer Graham and White House Climate's advisor Ali Zadi vote or visited the Washington, D.C. auto show on Wednesday to highlight the administration's effort to boost EV and infrastructure. Stabbings, a knife-wielding man described as a stateless Palestinian fatally stabbed two people and injured seven others on a train Wednesday in Germany before being grabbed by passengers and arrested by police, officials say. Church attacks. A machete-wielding man killed a sexton and injured a priest in attacks at two churches in the city of Algecaris on Wednesday before being arrested, Spain's interior ministry said, and what authorities are in, uh, investigating as a possible act of terrorism. And just one last article here, clearing things up, how pay transparency transparency may affect your job search or a raise. Knowing if you're being paid fairly for the work you do is a mystery shrouded in a lack of information that may be changing, though, and pay transparency may be the catalyst. It's a growing trend for companies to reveal what a job opening or current position pays whether volatility or because governments mandate it. So there are a number of different ways uh, to look at this. You, you have navigating salary ranges. You ask the question, is this the end of salary negotiation? Will pay gaps be eliminated? What if you're at the low end of the range? And if you're at the top of the pay scale, these uh, and other things are in this article. As I say, we're beginning to finish up here. Um, and uh, to, to read more about this, just go to the personal finance page of the paper. And that just about does it here for the reading of The Courier for Thursday, the 26th of January. And I am your narrator, Peter Welch. And you've been listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk again soon. Bye now.
I'm getting older. Do I need to worry about falling? Yes, you do. Every year, one in four people 65 and older will experience a fall, and many result in serious injury. The majority of falls happen at home, so take a look around. Replace bulbs and add lighting to help you see obstacles. Remove things that can make you trip. Fix uneven steps and floors, and install handrails in bathrooms and on stairs. Consider balance or strength training exercises, which can help with agility. Get your eyes and hearing checked regularly. Changes in your hearing can affect your balance. To learn more, please talk to your doctor about steps you can take to help prevent a fall. You can also visit aarpfoundation.org or medicaremadeclear.com slash falls. This message was brought to you by United Healthcare and AARP Foundation.